Blog Talk Radio. Yes, we are back. Episode 33 of Inside the Burger Shop. This is Ryan Berger taking you through the next uh, hour to 90 minutes of uh, some really fun conversation. This is uh, Inside the Burger Shop, um, a discussion at the intersection of sports, entertainment, marketing, technology, culture, and more. Um, Looking forward to a wonderful show today. We were supposed to be on yesterday, but due to some technical issues, unfortunately, we were uh, had to move it to today, so we will uh, be joined by uh, one of the most powerful voices in, in the sports media, certainly uh, you know, up there with some of the top female reporters in the space who have made a huge um, sort of leap in popularity over the past couple of years, Michelle Beadle and, and, and Rachel Nichols, and of course our guest today, Ramona Shelburne, the LA-based reporter from ESPN, and we will be joined by Ramona shortly, who I know has a uh, hair appointment at 5 p.m. as she's expecting to do a lot of uh, uh, TV uh, this week with the with the with the stuff going on and the playoffs and whatnot. So, luckily, we will be joined uh, by Ramona shortly, and uh, looking forward to a real interesting NBA chat with her today regarding uh, you know, a little bit of playoffs, what's going on with this Knicks coaching search, um, and a little bit of going through each individual series, getting her take on that, and of course, getting her take on all things Los Angeles when it comes to the Lakers and, and Clippers as she. Based out there, it is a Thursday, May 5th, a sort of depressing, gray, rainy, damp uh, time in New York. The whole week has been uh, pretty gross uh, through the weekend, and uh, and it's exhausting. I was talking to Ramona yesterday. It's, it's tiring staying up for these late West Coast games, and the other night, the Golden State-Portland game in that fourth quarter was really, really uh, remarkable to see the kind of defense that Golden State could play, and of course, the ability to outscore Portland by 22 in the fourth without without Steph Curry is an incredibly impressive. So 
Golden State continues to roll along as we uh, get closer to the matchup that everybody is waiting and looking for, of course, with the Spurs and and the Warriors. Uh, A couple of things, of course, thanks to Hyper for always being uh, an incredible partner to the show, and you could follow and find out more information about Hyper at hyperbrands.com, H-Y-P-R, brands.com. We will also provide the hyperheat index as we get later into the show. <clears throat> we will take a look at uh, three individuals, um, sort of their social habits, who's following them. Uh, the people we're going to look at today are three people, of course, that are always in the news that we talk about. We like to look at people who are in the news and people are talking about, and we will look at um, Drake, Beyonce and Jake Arietta, three uh, individuals, two in, in music, and of course Arietta, who's really just doing some stuff that has never been seen before in uh, in sports. Uh, won 23 of his last 24 games, uh, two no hitters, um, and the Cubs looking to you know really break the curse. Um, this year. So three individuals will look at it, the Hyper Heat Report, and we're happy to announce that we have a new partner for the show, and that is the Crowds Line and Anthony Lodge, who we had on last week. And you can go to the www.thecrowdsline.com. They are the largest database of crowdsourced sports predictions in the world. You have a prediction on a game, head over to the Crowds Line and make that prediction. And with the Crowds Line, you always win. All prediction contests are free. You can win Amazon and Starbucks gift cards, compete against your friends, get access to data you can't find anywhere else, and keep track of how well you are doing over time with your own personal scorecard. And the uh, crowd's line game of the week is the game one game between Miami and Toronto. And when you look at the predictions and, of course, what the crowd line is about, as we talked about last week, is that um, when a big group of people or a group of individuals make a prediction, it is more uh, – it is found to be much more um, – Correct than when uh, an individual actually creates the line or the spread out of out of Las Vegas. So what the crowd's line is showing is for game one, uh, Toronto was set as a five-point favorite, and the predictions came in that they should be closer to a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And it looks like the crowd's line and fans were right as Miami was take, took game one, and the predictions were much closer to a uh, an even game than a uh, Toronto. Toronto uh, minus uh, five points as a favorite. So really interesting to see how the crowd's line plays with this, and we could see by that game that um, that the crowd was right. So head over to www.thecrowdsline.com and make your prediction on tonight's game and more for a chance to win all kinds of goodies, including gift cards to Starbucks and Amazon. And as we get ready for uh, Ramona, and uh, hopefully she will be joining us uh, very, very shortly, um, you know, I wanted to talk a little, a little bit about um, sort of what we've seen today, what we've seen in in, in the beginning of uh, the playoffs, and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of interesting series where we are today. Um, of course, you have a, a 2-0 lead in Golden State, as I had mentioned, uh, up 2-0 in Portland uh, with an incredible fourth quarter um, uh, the other night. Really just incredibly impressive defense in the fourth quarter. Lillard nowhere to be found. Uh, 17 in the third quarter from Lillard, um, but nothing in the fourth. And, you know, it's, when you look at guys like Draymond and, and – um, 
all of the different players that they have uh it's it's impressive it's 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 you know this team is deep um you know you think about other teams and um the reality is is if those teams are going to lose their best player like a Steph Curry, uh those teams are not going to be able to uh be ready and be and be able to sort of play without uh having any sort of issues and this is a team who continues to roll and you know my belief is they can't get out of the west without Steph Curry. I'm not even I think if Portland can push them uh without Curry and win a game or two, um but really an impressive uh, spot that we saw the other night uh, defensively in the fourth quarter. The other series out west is, of course, the Spurs and, and Oklahoma City, and uh, and we're at 1-1, and you have an incredible sort of atmosphere in game three uh, in Oklahoma City Friday night, uh, a chance for OKC to actually take a 2-1 lead in that series. My my feeling there is we're looking at a longer series, six or seven games. I'm not don't really believe Oklahoma City will uh, will win another game in San Antonio, but I do think San Antonio will win one in OKC. So uh, when you look at that and you add that up from that standpoint, I think you're looking at a six or seven game series. Um, and I think eventually the Spurs' depth will 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 win out. Uh, I think one of the things you watch with with Oklahoma City, especially in the fourth quarter, the offense becomes very very stagnant, becomes really two guys, and uh, how far that can take them, we you know we obviously shall see. Um, but the other night, especially how that game ended, was you know, obviously really really crazy. Six or seven fouls that the refs should have called, none of which were called. The NBA sending out uh, sort of a document that looks at all the missed calls. And uh, and amazingly, you know, that, that's just sort of a disaster that happened. So 1-1, one, one, I, I think the, the player to look at, as far as I, what I've seen, is Stephen Adams. Really, really improved uh, big man out of Australia. Spent one year at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, what an incredible defensive play he made at the end of that game. Uh, Spurs actually had a three-on-one with Ginobili wide open in the, on the wing. Uh, they lobbed the ball up to Tony Parker, had it underneath, and Stephen Adams pretty much guarded three guys on that play and made an unbel- did an unbelievable job of of uh, of turning them away and uh, and keeping that as an Oklahoma City win. So, really interesting series that I expect to, to certainly go the distance and. And unfortunately, in the East, we're looking at two series that, frankly, just don't feel very, very close to me, and and uh, and it looks like we're headed towards a LeBron uh, reunion with with the Heat. Um, the first is the uh, Miami and Toronto series, which Miami took a one nothing lead the other day, and Toronto just looks done to me. This clearly might actually be a sweep at this point. Uh, Wade is so far better than anybody that Toronto has. Lowry has been horrific. Of course, the incredible half-court shot to keep the series, keep the game going, and put it into overtime. But you know, really a. Uh, um, a situation in which between him and DeRozan, they can't make shots. They've really, really killed. Um, uh, the Toronto team and the, and the shooting percentage has been, you know, really, really terrible. So. Um, uh, you know, interestingly, I think when you look at that series, if Miami wins tonight, you're looking at a 2-0 lead and, and most likely a sweep. Um, you know, the hard part there is is how how good is Miami and 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 can they do something against Cleveland? And 
what we saw from Cleveland last night is, you know, when they're hot, they, they really, really shoot the ball well. And, you know, we've seen this from JR in the past. It gets incredibly hot. He was horrific in the NBA Finals last year. You know, will that happen again? What will we see from Cleveland when LeBron goes up against his former guys? Um, and then, of course, what will we see uh, in the Finals with, with LeBron against um, either Golden State or, or, or the Spurs? So, well, the other series with, with Cleveland and Atlanta um, is just very, very unfortunate that uh, Atlanta is a little, not playing great basketball right now, didn't play great against the Celtics, and hasn't looked great against Cleveland. And they had a little bit of a shot in game one, and unfortunately it didn't, it didn't work out. And, and clearly in game two they were blown out of the water. So uh, 2-0 in that series and, and going back to Atlanta. Uh, and unfortunately, unless Atlanta, you know, sort of pull some magic out of the air, it will unfortunately be a, uh, a, a, a short series that, that uh, takes care of the Hawks. So, um, unfortunately, it looks like uh, Ramona is, has not been able to join us. I'm not sure what is going on with her exactly. We've pinged her a couple times on, on, on emails but haven't heard. So, um, it looks like the best thing to do is to uh, end this podcast and uh, hopefully connect with Ramona and get this scheduled again shortly. I'm not exactly sure what happened with her, but I will uh, be back shortly uh, trying to find uh, Ramona and uh, waiting for her to call in call in right now, And but I'm not exactly sure what is going on with her. And I think while we're waiting for Ramona, we'll do a little bit of the uh, hyper heat index. And if Ramona doesn't call by that point, then we will have to uh, reschedule a time for Ramona to come on the show. Uh, hopefully uh, everything is okay with her. When we look at the hyper heat index report or the hyper heat report, we look at three individuals today. We look at uh, Beyonce, Drake, and Jake Arietta. And as I mentioned before, two individuals who are in uh, who are in music, and then of course uh, the third who uh, who covers and is one of the great pitchers in in, in baseball today. So um, I'm just going to send Ramona a note and see here if uh, they got apologies for the uh, the delay here. Um, not exactly sure where. She is. Hey, we're back. Sorry about that technical difficulties there, but uh, we were just working to get Ramona on the show, and uh, we will wait uh, a minute for her to call in. It was a, a quick uh, uh issue with where she thought she was calling so we apologize for that and Ramona will be on shortly and again uh, once we're done with Ramona we will get into the hyper heat report around three individuals Drake Beyonce and Jake Arietta and uh, we will also get into all kinds of NBA talks with Ramona uh, who hopefully will be calling in shortly we you know we we touched base a little bit on you know what we've seen from the west and what we've seen from the east and i guess the other big thing around uh sports today is all the uh activities that are currently going on uh in the baseball 
and uh, and it's sad. It's certainly a sad time, and when when the Yankees look the way they do, and uh, sort of a team who's incredibly old, uh, really really struggling. A Rod on the DL now really can't can't win. Uh, big win last night to I guess sort of feel a little bit good about yourself, but a team who just can't can't hit can't win. And uh, and at the same time, you know, you look at what's going on in Chicago. Both the Cubs and the uh, um, the White Sox, and what an unbelievable run by both of those teams to start the season. I think both of them are nineteen and eight. Be unbelievable to see uh, both of those teams play um, each other in the in the in the World Series. How how sort of amazing would that would that be? Um, so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. Can both of these teams look? The, the everybody figured that. Um, that the Cubs would be there, but no one talked about the White Sox. And for them to start off like this, it's it's really a testament to uh, Robin Ventura, their manager, and 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 Ken Williams, their, their general manager. And even though Chris Sale, who's one of the best uh, best players in the in the league and best pitchers, at the same time. Um, uh, nobody had expected to see this or, or, or deal with this. So it's really a uh, a, a fresh uh, story and something that you know, nobody had expected. And if that could happen in Chicago, uh, it would be a, a monster um, fall classic if you get the, uh, the White Sox and the Cubbies. Um, while we're waiting for Ramona, let's get into the hyperheat hyper uh, report. And Ramona mentioned she was going to call in in a minute. I'm not sure if she got uh, sidetracked or received another call. But as I mentioned, the hyperheat report looks at three uh, individuals that are part of the hyper uh, database, which as I mentioned is the largest database for celebrities and influencers in the world. And we looked at three individuals up, and here comes Ramona. So we will put the hyperheat report on hold, and we will be joined by Ramona. And again, and I apologize to everybody for the delay, and uh, we're happy to be joined by uh, one of the big big names and big voices in, in sports today, and certainly on ESPN, Ramona Shelburne, a three-time All-American softball player at Stanford, and uh, her, Michelle Beadle, and Rachel Nichols make up uh, one of the great popular groups, some sort of female uh, media types who have exploded on the scene over the past couple of years. And Ramona, welcome to Inside the Burger Shop. I'm happy for you to be able to come on and uh, spend a little bit of time with us today. Hey, thanks, man. I, I wish I could claim like, like the, the three-time All-American softball player is like that. It's actually academic All-American, right? You know, like, <laughs> it's more like I got good grades while I was on the team. <laughs> uh, so I was like, like flex and be like, yeah, I was like all American player, but you know, just fact check. <laughs> yeah, well, I hear you loud and clear, and uh, you got to have great grades to, to go to Stanford, no question, and to uh, do the kind of things you're up to. Um, you know, I appreciate you coming on and spending some time. It, right? <laughs> What's that? I should just claim it, right? Just claim it. Just yeah, well, it, right? why not, right? I mean, all American, <laughs> academic, all American sure. these days in the NCAA, those things are the same. <laughs> um, you know, I, I appreciate you coming on and Ben Lyons, sure. close friend and, and uh, you know, made the introduction and he, he told me I got to start to start out with this quote for you so I think it'll be a good way to get into our conversation and he wrote, as yep. the reigning MVP of ESPN's LA Celebrity Basketball Game, it is my duty to remind <laughs> Ramona that Phil isn't coming back to LA, 
D'Angelo is a clown and Porzingis is a god, and the Knicks are winning 45 games next year for the sixth seed in the East and will upset whoever is third, and Mello is a Hall of Famer. What up, Nevdog, was his, was his quote. <laughs> that is very Van Lyons, by the way. Um, okay, my response to that is that if his beloved New York Knicks played with the same intensity and passion and fire that Ben Lyons laid out on the court and left on the court during our East LA celebrity basketball game. Maybe they could win 45 games. (laughs) (laughs) I've never uh, seen a guy care more about a celebrity game than Ben Lyons cared about that one. (laughs) No, plus the, you know, the fact that he was in the celebrity game. And then of course the fact that uh, he was the, you know, really did his thing and is able to talk to kinds of junk. He's able, he's able to talk because he lives by coastal. So he sort of has both the East (laughs) and the West coast angle, huh? Yeah, I mean, think about ben, like Ben. That wasn't just like the ESPN LA celebrity game. It was like it was like Ben Lyons and friends. It was like <laughs> ben, ben just called up all the people he knows and was like, "You got to play in this game." And like, I think for three or four months, like that's all he talked about. I mean, this is like I'm pretty sure he watched like a film of everyone on the other team. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's how bad yeah, he no. wanted it. <laughs> I know. In fact, the IIT told me he was trying to have his team run the triangle offense. So why don't we why don't we start there? Because clearly, uh, there's a lot in that quote that I think would would be interesting to the audience here. Um, big, big New York uh, audience. You know, sports and, and entertainment media podcast out of out uh-huh. of New York. I know you're based in LA. So want to pick your brain on the NBA. Want to pick your brain on some of the stuff going on in LA. But before we start, you know, obviously the Knicks uh, have been sort of a disaster for. For a while, uh, Phil comes over, and uh, a couple years into the project, has mm-hmm. sort of who knows where this thing is going. Wanted to get your sense on you know, what you're hearing out there, what you're seeing a little bit. Um, you know, some initial rumors that he was going to go back to LA. Um, you know, what are you hearing out there when it comes to Phil sure. and the Knicks? Well, let me tell you. Let me like. like it's funny you say like it's New York. I mean, it might. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they go. It's kind of funny how all the same people end up being involved in these things, right? It's still like I, I feel like in some ways covering the Knicks is like covering the Lakers ten years ago, um, and uh, you know you just kind of see people as they grow and evolve and change, and in different situations they look very different, right? And Phil, the executive in New York, looks very different than Phil, the imperialist coach of the Los Angeles Lakers with eleven rings. Like I don't even I don't even have enough fingers to put my rings on, right? I mean that's that's kind of how Phil walked around town, and he's still walking around like that, except in New York they're like. Yeah, but that was as a coach. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think from what I see on the outside, it's, it's, um, it's you know, it's interesting to see how – I was wondering how long the halo effect would last for Phil Jackson when he took over uh, the New York Knicks. Like, how long would those 11 rings buy him uh, from the New York media, from the New York fans, from Jim Dolan, from, you know, everyone in the NBA? I mean, I, he, he walked into a situation where – uh, the rest of the league does not want him to succeed. They don't want a coach who has sort of thumbed his nose at, you know, the the work that goes into building rosters and a fr- and and uh, and you know scouting and analytics and and that that type of front office work. I mean, it, for a lot of Phil's career, he sort of thumbed his nose at that, um, and now he's doing that. And so I don't I don't think all the GMs in the league wanted him to succeed. And then and then there's this sense that like how much is he really out there doing the job? How much is he really out there scouting himself and making those things happen? Um, so you walk into a situation where you've, you've created your, you're an iconoclast, right? You're going against the grain and you're trying to succeed where no one else has succeeded. And you're a way of, 
of doing that is to say, my way is going to work because I don't just coach. I create a bubble around my team. I create an entire ecosystem around my team. As a coach, he was able to do that in Los Angeles and in Chicago, and that's why his teams won. I mean, he, he sort of famously never let um, you know, the, the ownership or executives even ride on the team bus, right? Like Mitch Kupchak, he was not invited to ride with the team. He wanted to keep the sort of inner sanctum around the team and the coaching staff, and I think it, it worked well for the Lakers, um, and it worked well for the Bulls, but it's not a surprise that you know, the, his, the executives that he worked with didn't have a great feeling about things at the end, right? Jerry Krause and Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss. And mm-hmm. there's a reason why when he left, they scrubbed the walls. And um, now he's in their role and trying to do the same thing he did as a coach. And so it was, I, was, I was very curious to see how long that halo would last. Would it be one year? Would it be two years? Would it be three years? Clearly the answer was one year because it was the worst season in Knicks history. And he did it. He went into a total teardown. I mean, the, the team was terrible. He had a lot of injuries. Um, nothing he did was going to make an immediate impact. And so he basically went into rebuild teardown operation in the middle of the season and had to be frank about it. Um, and then, you know, it takes a while to build things up, especially when you don't have a lot of draft picks and you don't have a lot of assets to work with. Um, and so in year two, better than year one, but still not where anyone would hope it would be. And I think now the really interesting dynamic going into year three is will he really be able to execute what he wants to do, which is, you know, very clearly he wants to have more of his system in there. He's going to go down with the ship on the triangle, right? Like this is where he's going to end up. Um, He's not, he's not going to abandon it. He's not going to go bring in an outsider like Tom Thibodeau. He's not going to go, you know, have somebody with a completely different vision of, of how basketball should be played. He's going to get more involved, not less involved. And that's why um, it's surprising to me. They haven't just hired Kurt Rambis already. The, the fact that they haven't hired Kurt Rambis already says to me um, either, you know, he's massaging this message um, or there's somebody else he's trying to keep happy. And I think right now it's Carmelo Anthony because he's very loudly been chirping in the media that he wants to be consulted and he wants to feel like they've gone down every road instead of just hiring um, the one Phil loyalist uh, who's on the staff and the sort of guy who's right in front of them. Um, and I think it's a fascinating dynamic to watch play out because Carmelo really does have the leverage here. I mean, he has a no trade clause. And so ultimately when one guy has no trade clause and a lot of leverage and, a, and Phil has a lot of leverage in that he has a five-year deal and he's been paid a lot of money. He's been empowered by the owner to do what he sees fit. Something's got to give. And um, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I anxiously await the resolution. <laughs> and we all do as well, Nick fans, yeah. Nick season ticket holders, and 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 diehards like myself. It's funny we had Peter Vesey on a couple of weeks ago, and 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 Pete talked about uh, the smokescreen of 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 the Blatt interviewing, and that he believed that, yeah. and a lot of people believe that this whole sort of fill process is his only way to piss Carmelo off to the point where Carmelo says. Um, I, I got to get out of here and I got to take a trade. And, and I'm of the belief that Phil really never wanted Melo here, but for a number of reasons sort of had to bring him in, had to re, you know, re-sign him. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think they're mm-hmm. at odds a little bit? You think Phil is playing some of his Zen games to, and this well, is his best way to strip this thing down and build it back up? Um, is my first question. And my second question to you is, do you see Phil here for all five years uh, of the contract? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the question, right? And, um, I'll go back to something he said when he was out here in Los Angeles, um, which was um, you know before the Laker game here in March, and he, he did a little group interview with the reporters out here, and he said, you know, I've talked to Carmelo, where we've we've had a lot of discussions, and 
and a lot of, you know, they had a meeting, like he felt like that was a good conversation, but Carmelo's got to decide if he really wants to be here. And it was a fascinating statement, right? It was fascinating. Like you got to decide if you're all the way in, you got to decide if this is my vision is your vision. And, you know, I, uh, I think in the media, we always get into these, these conflicts where we think it's an either or one guy's got to go. He's, you know, like, as you just said, you know, is this his way of forcing Melo to say, I want out? I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever met another person who thrives off conflict better than Phil Jackson. Um, and, you know, I, I spent the first part of my career covering the Shaq Kobe era where, um, you know, like, you know, on, on, on any given day, uh, Phil would, you know, uh, yell at Shaq in front of the team and, and belittle him and then not say a word to Kobe. And then, you know, the next day he's, he's saying to the media that Kobe's uh, shot selections off or his, you know, he's, you know, he would, he would say everything he needed to say to Kobe through the media, not actually in front of the team or to his face. Um, he wrote in his book, Kobe was uncoachable. He admitted in the, in the book the last season, he asked the Lakers to trade him. I mean, I, I mean, you, you, you come to these points where you think that the, the, the damage is irreparable, right? You come to these points where normally, you know, Phil going into Mitch Kupchak's office and saying, I think we should trade Kobe for Jason Kidd in the middle of, of that season um, and go back and read the last season. It's just, he, he flat out wrote it. Um, mm. And you, you go back and think and go, not only did he write that, but he came back to the Lakers and won two titles with Kobe later. Right? I mean, you know, people get divorced and they say there's irreconcilable differences. People break up and they say like, um, you know, I don't, I just can't talk to that person anymore. I can't work with that person anymore. I don't know. Phil's whole career is this. <laughs> so like, yep. you know, I, do I think there's a sinister plan? I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe he does. Maybe it's Bessie's right. But but my my experience with him over um, over you know, tw- like 15 years of covering the guy and and not even just covering him. But I back when I was in college, I read all of his books about what he did in Chicago too. I read all the Sacred Hoops and all those. Um, my experience with him is is simply that he thrives off conflict. He thinks brings out the best in people. I think he kind of does it for a reason. In a, in a lot of ways, I think he's he's essentially saying. You know, I'm not going to just go kiss your butt and make you feel good uh, if it's not something I believe. I want you mad. I like conflict. And so, yeah, know, and he's, that's, he's, that's my reason. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. I guess that's why they call him the yeah. Zen master, and he's able to, you know, resolve conflict in ways. And, you know, the, the challenging part, I think, on our end is, is sort of understanding, you know, you mentioned the triangle a bunch before, and he's not going to abandon it, but, you know, it worked really well, and, and Vessi said the same when you have Jordan and, 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 and a Kobe, but, you know, when you don't have those kinds of guys, and I always told Ben, Ben is, ben is crazy to think, you know, what he thinks of Carmelo and how high he is on Carmelo. He's a much different and, and less player than a Jordan or, or, or a Kobe, and, you know, in that offense. So I question whether that offense and his system is relevant in a time in which the sport has moved a lot away from that. And that brings me to the coaching situation where he had initially mm-hmm. uh, identified Kerr and then loses Kerr. Then he brings in Fisher, who he says he knows really well. He gets a lot of money for his first time coaching, doesn't work out, ends up firing him. And now it looks like he's bringing Rambis in, who has one of the worst records in the history of the sport coaching. And he loses Walton, who everyone thought was, you know, a 
shoo-in or a fill guy and, and comes and, and goes to the Lakers. Um, so what is your thoughts on that sort of in- intricacies, the, the offense, Walton not taking the job? Yeah. The, the, there's so many layers to it. Um, you know, I, I can't sort of get a feel of how Luke and yeah. even Kerr feel about Phil and all that. But bring us through that a little bit. Okay. So I think sometimes we, we connect things in a straight line that are far more complicated. Like I, I know decisions that I make about why, do I, why did I choose to go to Stanford and not Harvard, okay? Why did I choose to go to Stanford and not Cal? Uh, and I go back and I go, well, it was actually really complicated, right? I, I, you know, I actually really wanted to go to Harvard. That was my first choice. I love the, the softball team there. I love the coaches there. I love the idea of playing in the Ivy League. I loved Harvard. Everybody I met there I was like, oh, my God, it's Harvard, right? But then I was like, you know, I don't want to go so far from home. Like I, I'm from LA. My family's here. If I move to Harvard, what if I meet a guy there and I end up marrying him and, and I live my whole life in Boston. And now instead of being really close to my family, I'm living on the East coast or I go home twice a year. And um, every conversation I've had with Steve Kerr about this, about with Luke Walton about this actually goes back to, um, you know, a lot of, it really goes back to that. I mean, it's, 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 they both are LA guy. I mean, they're both Southern California guys. Steve's from San Diego. Luke's from, from uh, sorry, they're both from San Diego, but they, they have L.A. ties, right? Um, yep. And, uh, you know, Luke, Luke has an off-season house in Manhattan Beach, right? I mean, he, he lives in Oakland now with his wife. He's got, a, he's got a two-year-old, another one on the way. Steve's kids were in college at Berkeley. I mean, his, his son was on the, you know, basketball team. His daughter was on the volleyball team. His other son was in high school in San Diego. Um, and you think about the, the types of choices that you make, and you think, you know, Uh, do you want to move to New York? Do you want to uproot your family um, at a moment when it's going to be very, you know, a a real uprooting. And, and even though I know Steve and Luke both talk to Phil all the time, like as a friend and as a mentor, you still talk to him. Uh, You know, the the interview that Luke supposedly had with Phil, that was, that was just a general conversation that like they would always have. They they talk all the time in in the same way that I still talk to, you know, my old friends from other jobs that I've had. Um, And I think, you know, more of, you know, so much is made of like, oh, he didn't like the triangle. He didn't like how Phil was going to run. Not necessarily. I think a lot of it was a, a much more of a lifestyle family choice for, for both of those guys. Um, in Luke's situation, I think uh, the, the, the spot that the Knicks find themselves has also has something to do with it. Um, Phil has a five-year deal, and there's a mutual out after next year, and it was put into the contract um, because of, you know, for, for various reasons. One, you know, if it wasn't working out, everybody needed a way to get out of it uh, after three years, and that's about a, the right amount of time. But two, uh, next year is when there potentially could be a work stoppage. And Phil's gone through this before. You're sitting on the sidelines waiting for a lockout to resolve. Then you have to coach a team and pick back up, you know, in the in um, you know on the fly. And it's just not a good situation. He doesn't want to go through that. And you know, he felt like if that was the case, he wanted he wanted an out. And that was why it was set up five years ago. You know, as a, as a deal like that. Well, the reality of that is we're two years in. They've had two of the worst seasons in Knicks history. You know, Phil's support politically, um, you know, is, is, I don't know if you could call it shaky, but it's sort of unknowable right now because, uh, you know, when yeah, you, have, when you live like this, yeah, it's wavering, right? I mean, you know, Jim Dolan has said all the right things or, or at least not said anything. And, um, but the reality is Carmelo's talking a lot, and you, you just don't know where things stand, right? So if Phil's it feels potentially doing this for one more year. And you're Luke Walton, the hottest coaching prospect out there. You have a choice between the Lakers and the Knicks, both of whom are in the exact same time frame, right? Uh, the Lakers, you know, Jim Buss has said he'll step down if they don't, they're not heading in the right direction after next season. Um, 
So the two guys who are potentially hiring you could potentially be out after one year. That's, that's, that's a tough job to jump into. But what you have to do is, is think about it globally and say, okay, if, if the guys who hire me are out after one year, where would I rather be, New York or L.A.? Well, I live in L.A. I have a great relationship with the Laker franchise. I played here. I have a lot of, I have a lot of uh, goodwill built up. Um, if you believe in yourself as a coach, you believe that you can win no matter who's in charge, right? You believe in your matter, you'll, you'll succeed. Uh, but in New York, you, you, if Phil leaves after one year, he's stuck with the, with the Knicks and a franchise he has no ties to and an owner who's sort of famously, um, uh, I don't know what's the right word, um, uh, <laughs> impatient, <laughs> okay? Uh, like, you know, do you want to entrust your long-term future into a situation like that? I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's a hard sell. And I don't, I don't even think Phil really sold it. I, I don't think it was even a, a – I think the conversation they had was just mentor and, and mentee, you know, and, and – um, I think the, the Laker job, I was, I, quite, quite frankly, I was surprised that Luke took it because he has such a good situation in Golden State, and I feel like the Laker job will be open again. I mean, all, he, you know, his quote was, these jobs don't come around very often. Well, I mean, the last six years it's happened, it's opened up three times. Right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think there was a lot of people telling Luke, including his dad, hey, man, just wait around. You know, wait till they get good. But Luke, Luke got the coaching bug and he believes in himself. He believes in the Laker franchise. He believes in the players that they have there. And clearly when he met with them, he liked what Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak had to say, and they liked what he had to say. And, you know, at some point, if you believe in yourself, you just decide, let's jump. No, and it's an interesting fit. No, clearly in the, a lot of the young players that they have, even though they're at the same time frame as uh, as the Knicks, they actually have a lot more assets. And well, they don't have Porzingis, they have uh, several you know pieces and some talk about moving their draft pick for for Paul George. And we're talking to Ramona Shelburne, the uh, ESPN reporter, LA based, uh, one of the great basketball minds in, in the space. And you can catch her on the weekend with Michelle Beadle on uh, ESPN Radio, talking sports and lifestyle and more. And I want to get your take on what's going on on the other side of the city in L.A. with the Clippers before we talk mm-hmm. about where the playoffs are today. Uh, you know, obviously an incredibly uh, tough pill to swallow for uh, that that sort of situation over the last two years with the Sterling stuff and then, of course, this how they ended yep. the, the season this year with you know, two really brutal injuries and, and losing to a, a Portland team who most didn't even have in, in making the playoffs uh, before the season started. Now, what are you hearing out there? There's been some conversation about, you know, will Doc break this team up? You know, what are they doing with DeAndre to a big contract? Blake, you know, long-term as well. Uh, how do they sort of figure out what their next steps are? Um, and, 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 you know, Doc is, you know, he's a really, really good coach, but I think he struggled a little bit in the GM role. I'd love to get your two cents on what you're hearing uh, in the world of the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the last few years, they just really haven't had a lot to work with. I mean, they, you know, in terms of like free agency and, and trades that they can make um, and, you know, it's their own fault, right? I mean, it's like, you don't feel sorry for Doc Rivers. He's the one who, you know, got rid of all that flexibility by trading Jared Dudley and um, trading, you know, some of their first round draft picks away. And he sort of boxed himself in, in that, in the way that tends to happen when coaches are GMs, they, they have this sort of, they have this short term thinking um, in terms of what, what do we need right now? Right. And, uh, and they don't always plan for the future. And so it's box them in. And then when you have injuries and you're a little thin and you, you weren't able to go out and make the trade for Aaron Aflalo midseason like, um, like the Portland Trailblazers were last year, right? I mean, that's a guy last year in the playoffs, if they have Aflalo, 
could be a very different story. If they have a, you know, they have the, this year they were able to go get Jeff Green. I think that was yeah. that could have been a really good addition for them. But you know, you, the way that Blake got hurt this year, where they really didn't have him all year, then Chris gets hurt, and and the way that series fell apart, and the way this year fell apart for them, um, it's just hard to evaluate this year at all um, and chalk anything up. And since I have is, you know, Doc really was very strong in saying that he was not going to, he's not going to break up the core. And I think in some ways um, it's smart in their sense, like you're not going to get full value for Blake Griffin right now. You're not going to get full value for Chris Paul right now. If you were going to trade any of them, Deandre Jordan at least has a few years left on his contract. So you would probably get something for him, but you know, a guy like Blake Griffin, a superstar going into the final year of his contract, you, you run up against this, this uh, wall where any team that trades for him needs to know how he feels about them going forward. Like you're not going to give up a huge package of assets for a guy like that. If um, you know, he could just leave you after one year. I mean, you could, you could take that gamble. Some franchises would, but there's not many in the NBA who would. And, and then the the larger question though, is, is simply why would you trade Blake Griffin? He's great. I mean, he's a young superstar in this league who, yeah, he had a bad, he had a bad incident this year in Toronto that he'll have to, you know, sort of make his make amends for with the team, the franchise, and the league going forward. It's going to hurt his reputation. But, like, you know, he, other than that, he's had a pretty sterling reputation in the league. Um, and, I, and I just don't see, you know, yeah, the core hasn't worked out this, you know, the last few years. But there's mitigating circumstances. And also you ran up against the Warriors. You ran up against the Thunder. And, and I just – I just think I, – I think – I believe Doc when he says they were going to bring the core back. I do. And I think they'll just try to add through free agency. They'll try to add, um, you know, through the, either through the draft or, or in other ways because they, they, you know, they, like most of the – like all the teams in the NBA got a gift. You know, they, they don't really deserve to have cap space, but they do because of all the new right. TV money. And so I, I think they'll probably just run them out there again next year and try to add somebody in free agency. Like – Look for a guy like Evan Turner, you know, somebody else. They've, they've needed a wing for quite some time. They tried to – Paul Pierce – they were hoping Paul Pierce would be that guy, but he just yeah. seemed like Not he had it this year. And, yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably what they do. Just just tweak at the margins again and try again next year. Interesting. And, uh, again, Ramona Shelburne, you can follow Ramona on Twitter at Ramona Shelburne. We know from the hyper data, Ramona, with over 160,000 followers on Twitter, getting about 100 likes per post. Ramona, I'd love to know from you because I have your wow, data right Wow, look at you. Here. I don't even know any of that. <laughs> Oh, I've got like some it. data for you from Hyper that stuff you would blow your mind, including your sort of breakdown and who follows you and where they live. You would be wow. interested to know almost almost ninety percent of your followers are are men. So you're clearly uh, being respected by a lot of men. And we look at almost forty percent of your followers are uh, thirty three to thirty nine years old, and we know about seventy percent of them live in the United States, with a four percent following in Canada. So really interesting stuff when we look at your audience analytics. In in, in hyper and I want to touch on some of the uh, some of the playoff series because I know you also have a hair appointment at uh-huh. five o'clock and I, I know how important that is for all the ladies that are that are you, listening nobody needs and not, to see all my not roots, for my... you know I'm going to be on TV nobody needs to see the roots like it's just you know exactly <laughs> exactly. Stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to start in the in the East. Uh, you know, we we saw an incredible performance in Cleveland last night. Uh, shot the heck out of the ball, twenty five threes, all time record. Uh, we've seen sort of that stuff from Jr. in the past, and then you know things change. Uh, I keep saying the worst thing that could happen for Cleveland is they play Miami and Jr. gets reintroduced to South Beach over the next couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> 
You know, do you think it's funny? You know, Atlanta. Uh, I thought they played fairly well at the end in Game One, and I tweeted out um, that they, you know, really held LeBron down, and then LeBron sort of went off in the in late in the fourth and took that game over. And immediately, I got a tweet back from the owner of the Hawks, Jesse Itzler, a close friend, saying, "No, we held LeBron down. He didn't really dominate. I saw in the past the sort of the final three or four minutes, it really was all LeBron. And then last night, it was what LeBron loves, right? The ball moving all over the place, guys making mm-hmm. shots." You think Atlanta has a chance to get a game there, or are you looking at you know a sweep there uh, in, in in that series? I mean, I I always pick. I never pick a sweep when they ask for our predictions, right? Because I I think teams are proud and they don't like to get swept, especially on their home court. Um, so I, I I do think Atlanta will will get one of these games here, and we'll, the Cavs will close it out in five. Um, but you know, it's it, it's it's it, Cleveland's an interesting team in the sense that. They they rebooted midseason and we all stopped paying attention to them because we you know you're so focused on the Warriors and their pursuit of of 73 wins and then what the Spurs were doing and everything that was happening out west that Cleveland was sort of this team was like okay yeah it's, you know Ty it's, it's Lue is doing some different things and um, but it was sort of it wasn't sexy right I mean the most most interesting thing that was happening with the Cavs is LeBron subtweeting people I mean it wasn't really um, you know stylistic or you couldn't really dive in and talk about them it was much more you know, Steph Curry sort of blo- Steph Curry and the Warriors sort of like just dominated the NBA conversation all year long. And then if there was a secondary story, it was probably the big grandiose farewell tour to Kobe. Um, and I think we've sort of done the Cavs all year. They figured themselves out, and you know they tend to be a team that when they need to play well, when the game they do. There's only been a few games where they, you know, a big national TV game where they laid an egg, and one of them was against the Warriors. And so I think that was the one that, you know, people just wrote them off. Like, they just, you know, they just said, okay, you know, when they faced off again after the final, you know, the finals rematch, Golden State was just so superior that you, you just kind of uh, cast them aside. They just weren't that important anymore. And now, oh, yeah, that's right. The Cavs are probably going to come out of the East, and you know, they're a different team now. They've really changed the style of play. And if they shoot like that, um, they can really – they, they they can give they can do some things in the in the in the playoffs especially I think I don't know who's gonna come out between the, the these these three teams left uh, if, sorry four teams sorry I didn't mean to slight Portland <laughs> but I think I think there's this sense that that's that one that's Golden State winning that I think you know San Antonio prevail over Oklahoma City although you know ultimately I I'm not writing that one off it also like when we do our picks I just I stuck to my preseason pick of saying. They got two of the top five players in the league in Oklahoma. Until the, until they go out, I'm not writing them off. I, I, you know, I, I used to cover a team with two of the top five players in the league, and the Lakers would be maddening and frustrating and terrible, you know, like and underachieving all year long. And then in the playoffs, Shaq and Kobe would just get it going, and they would end up in the finals. And so I've seen it yeah. too many times to write those two guys off. Um, and you know, you, the other night, you know, they lose by 30, and then they come back and and, and win that game in San Antonio. So. Uh, I, I don't know. I, of those three teams, whichever one comes out, I think they're playing the Cavs in the finals, and I think it's going to be a good finals. I, I think even last year you saw how good the Cavs were, even without their top two, two of their top two players. You know, it's interesting when you look at the, what's going on in the West right now, and obviously Golden State, who you know looks really good with Curry, without Curry, but on the other hand, you know was really was 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 in trouble the other night and played just yep. an incredible fourth quarter, locking up you know Lillard, who's holding them to no mm-hmm. points, and, and not only winning the game but actually winning by double digits. Um, you know, I want to talk about the Spurs series before you go. You know, this is a team mm-hmm. that is, is built for now. Um, incredible job in sort of building the new new nucleus 
list yep. with guys like you know Aldridge and and and, and Kawhi and the play the other night at sort of at the end you know and, and sports yep. is classic team loses by thirty comes back wins the game and at the end yep. yeah you know we sort of down one and they're taking the ball in and waiters looks like he fouls Ginobili we have a, a a question from Twitter in the sense of you know why does the league uh, need to announce these ref mistakes you know it doesn't change the outcome of the game the refs aren't suspended the game isn't resumed the coaches the teams the owners they must be infuriated when they see a, a document that comes out like that with six or seven missed blown calls on that play and it's sort of funny right because reality is, yeah. is the Spurs had a three-on-one fast break I mean that with with Ginobili on the wing yeah. wide open it was better for them that, that no foul was called but take us right. through how that works with the league and why they had to make that announcement um, I expect to see a Spurs in six I think they'll win game three or four and then I don't see the Thunder winning again in this in San Antonio but take us through why they have to make that announcement and a little bit about that last play yeah well like this all goes this is Adam Silver's hallmark of his commissionership is that he wants transparency he doesn't want you know when they make a mistake they say they made a mistake when they um when they do anything they they sort of over over announce things like I remember during the Donald Sterling thing, I got a press release from them every day Right. It's like we had a conference call and we talked about Donald Sterling and here's what we talked about. I mean, I was like, okay, thank you. Like it was, it was sort of like an over an over announcing and this, this this sense of needing to have transparency. And I think that was one of the hallmarks of what Adam wanted the NBA to do um, with him as a commissioner. And I think some of it's a reaction against the Tim Donahue thing. Um, you know, there was a there's sort of a natural suspicion that the you know everyone always thinks everything's fixed right when the team doesn't get the calls. And um, but when you had a ref who um, you know, who admitted to that, then it's, it really, it really yeah, it's the real deal, yeah. things. Yeah. It's the real deal. And I think it was a very smart move on Adam's part is to say like, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're going to announce this stuff. Okay. I mean, we got to do something to help rebuild the credibility of the referees. And I, there's some unintended consequence of it. I know, you know, I've spoken to some refs about it and it's, it's tough on them. Right. I mean, they, they, they're, they're making really big calls in split seconds with you know, with not always the best angle, and it's 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 a lot of pressure, and it, you're influenced by the game, the crowd, everything. I mean, you're you're gonna make mistakes. You're human, right? Um, and uh, it's tough. So I, you know, there's sometimes where I think the refs are overly influenced by the fact that they know if they don't make this call, there's gonna be an announcement tomorrow that they missed the call. Um, sometimes it makes it harder at the end of games where usually you like to let the teams play. Um, so does that enter into your head? Hey, you know, we usually would let the teams play right now, but yeah, you know, interesting. Very in, interesting. A, in a report. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's something like, I, I know there's still further discussion that needs to be had. I like, I was watching the jump yesterday um, and Rachel Nichols, or two days ago, Rachel Nichols had a, had an idea that, that we should throw it, you know, that maybe in the last two minutes of a playoff game that you should be able to have a challenge flag. Um, that opens up a whole other door, right? But I, I think maybe the refs would be in favor of that. If, if, if the coach really felt like something's wrong, um, I know there's already a, a review mechanism in place, but maybe there's an extension of that. It's something the competition committee will need to talk about, the ownership will need to talk about, the referees will need to talk about. Because like, clearly you don't want a game like that to be, you know, remembered just for this weird play at the end of the game that, you know, quite frankly, didn't really decide the game. You know, I, I mean, even though it was a weird play with Deion Waiters and Manu Ginobili, like, you know, like, as you said, like, it, it's not what decided the game, right? Like, you know, there was – Yeah. Um, and – you know, I, I think it's, it's 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 maybe there's not a great answer, but I think it's something that they're going to study and they're definitely going to talk about some more in the off season because you don't want these games to be remembered for what refs did or didn't do. 
Yeah. And I think the key is in football, we've learned it the hard way, is to make sure that the call is yeah. right at the end. And that's what everybody, yeah. I think, wants. And I think uh, that's a little bit of the arms up in that game is that the calls weren't right yep. and they were admitted that they had missed several. And obviously it was the night after the sim- a similar situation when Miami played Toronto where they're trying to inbound the yep. ball and uh, and sort of calls were missed. So similar sort of situation and, and similar sort of scenario. And uh, so – as you go in to get your roots taken care of, you are leaving this podcast with a Oklahoma City <laughs> Cleveland NBA Finals. Is that fair? Well, that's what I picked in the preseason. I don't know if I should stick with it. I, I think if I had to, uh, if I had to go, if I had to, if Oklahoma City plays the Warriors, I think I'd roll with the Warriors. To be honest, in that series, I think if, once they get Steph back and he's healthy, I probably would change my pick at that point. But I think. Oklahoma City, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and what could be their last run together if they don't win here. Uh, it's really, I think people are sleeping on them and, uh, and, and what those two guys can do when they really get going, when they really get their back up against the wall. I, I, I'm, 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 I, I, that's the series I'm watching. Let's put it that way. Interesting. That's the team I'm watching, yeah. the two guys I'm watching. It's funny, the guy I really – I mean, would you count the guy... out? I mean, would you – Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, who are the top five players in the NBA right now? LeBron, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and probably Kawhi Leonard. Two of them are on yeah. Oklahoma City. I yep. mean, <laughs> no, you're right. You the know, problem like, is, is, in, is the other part of the roster is so horrific. Mm-hmm. You got guys out there, you know, like Roberson and some of the other guys they bring off the bench. The guy that I think is really the key and the guy who made a huge play at the end of game two and has improved and is going to get a gigantic contract when the money changes in the salary cap is Stephen Adams, young, 22 year old out of Australia, mm-hmm. one year at Pitt. I thought he's New really Zealand, yeah. improved yeah. in the. And I think he's a key because they never had that body. They had Kendrick Perkins, who really couldn't really do anything on the offensive end. Now they have a guy who at least can bunk lobs, can rebound the yep. basketball, and who's and who's young. So I think he's sort of a key to that. You know, can they get a third score in? You know, a little t- sometimes their their offense looks a little stagnant in the fourth. Um, and, and I think it'll be. I do think they and win. Their execution has just been bad all year. Like, their execution yeah. has just been bad all year. They just make way too many mistakes. Um, they don't execute at a high level. They they turn the ball up too much. Like, it's just Rookie it's, coach. But it's an execution issue. Yeah and, and, yeah, and how much of that's on Billy and how much of that is just flat on the players? I mean, they have new guys in there that are learning to play a system. And, and you know, if you look at the difference between the Spurs and the, and the Thunder, one of the main differences is age. <laughs> Can't you, have, you know, like, you have – you have young guys in Oklahoma. You're you're asking guys who have never been on championship teams to all of a sudden become championship caliber players. Whereas in 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 San Antonio, Boris Diaz won, and Patty Mills is one, and all those guys that are the role players on those teams, they they know what it takes. They've sort of been hardened by the playoff experience and finals experience, and I think. Um, you know, you never can predict how quickly teams will grow up or if they will grow up, um, but. I, I, I just keep coming back to this thing. Two of the top five players in the NBA in the same team. Until they're, until they're done, hard to write them off. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. As we're joined and uh, blessed by being able to talk to the great <laughs> Ramona Shelburne. Ramona, enjoy the, the hair appointment. Well, maybe we'll try to catch up with you in, during the finals again. And uh, I was mentioning to you on the phone the other day, you're, you're lucky that we are on the East Coast and absolutely exhausted. Uh, each night I go to bed <laughs> so tired, staying up, but I, I can't get enough of it. So thanks so much for popping on. And, you're uh, welcome. We'll speak to you I'll, soon. I'll be with the old ladies at the hair salon for the next couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, will. <laughs> All right, thanks. Bye.
That was uh, Ramona Shelburne, uh, uh, ESPN LA-based reporter. You could follow her on Twitter at Ramona Shelburne. Uh, really an incredible uh, voice and mind when it comes to the NBA and, uh, and, and really gave you some insights around the Lakers and, and the Knicks. And she's obviously very, very connected to, to Phil Jackson and the situation going on uh, out there with Luke Walton. So it was great to, great to touch base with, with her. Thanks to ESPN and thanks to Ben Lyons for, for making it happen. And uh, you could check out her and uh, her co-partner, Michelle Beadle, over the weekends on ESPN Radio. Uh, I think it's 12 to 2, um, where they uh, are as good as it gets on the radio. And uh, we're really, really happy and blessed that Ramona joined us today. So thanks to her and her team for making that happen. And uh, now we're going to quickly go into the Hyper Heat Report. I know we had a little bit of a, of, a, of a choppy start today, so apologize for that. And we were able to get Ramona on um, uh, and most importantly, get her to connect with us. So uh, apologies for uh, a little bit of a choppy start and apologies for starting this and stopping this, but wanted to make sure we deliver it to Ramona. And as I mentioned, we're looking at three individuals when you look at the hyper heat report today. And the first one is Beyonce, and Beyonce is in the news, came out with a big album, uh, Lemonade, a lot of a lot of conversation, a lot of buzz, and her numbers are absolutely staggering. Almost 70 million followers on Instagram. She's getting about 700,000 likes per post um, and getting about 15,000 comments per post. So 68 million followers on Instagram, 64 million followers on Facebook, and another 15 million on Twitter. So doing a lot of her damage on, on Facebook and Instagram. And you know, I said to Ramona, her following is 88% men. And when you look at Beyonce, 71% women who follow Beyonce. And from an age bracket standpoint, really the bulk of her fans are from 12 to 33. Uh, that is about 90% of her following. People from 40 and up don't really listen or, or follow her. And from an ethnicity standpoint, she's heavy uh, in Caucasian. Over 42% of, uh, of Caucasians are part of her audience. And, and then in her, a very, very large Hispanic uh, audience, over 25% of her followers are Hispanic and another 18% are African-American. But the thing that I take away from Beyonce's uh, audience demographics or social audience, and again, the hyperheat report is designed to show you not only who, how many followers somebody has, but who are their followers. And where do they come from? And Beyonce, only 25% of her followers from the United States. She is such an international star of all of her followers, 9% from the UK, 6% from the Philippines, 6% from Brazil, 10% from Australia. So she sort of runs the gamut and has following from all over. And again, interesting to look at uh, Beyonce Knowles. And the second person in a similar vein is Drake, and Drake, uh, again, in the news, views, all the stuff coming out, of course, the part owner of the Toronto Raptors up at the six, and we just talked to Ramona about what's going on with the Raptors, and Drake with 34 million followers on Facebook and 32 million on Twitter and 20 million on Instagram, so that's a total of uh, about 86 million followers. Beyonce has 
130, 140 million followers. So a big difference. Beyonce has double the amount of, of, of followers Drake has. And really, Drake is doing a lot of his damage on, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Those are his three main social channels. Getting about 320,000 likes per post on Instagram. So whereas Beyonce is getting 700,000 likes per post, Drake's getting about 320,000. So a, a, about half of the engagement, half of the following um, when we look at Drake's audience, it's a complete split, 50-50 down the middle, men and women. A big interest by men, a big interest by women, right down the middle. Really interesting to, to see that. When we look at the age demographics of Drake, his biggest audience is 12 to 32. 12 to 18, 19 to 25, and 26 to 32. When we look at Drake's data of the age group, young people are intrigued by Champagne Poppy. And when you look at the ethnicities, it unbelievable over-index in the Hispanic community. Huge following. And when we look at where his audience is, about 40% of his audience is from the United States, 8% from the United Kingdom, and so on and so forth. About 5% from Hong Kong. So interesting to see Drake 50-50 uh, split when you look at men and women who follow him. And then when you look at uh, Jake Arrieta, the guy who's rewriting the history books in, in baseball, 24-1 and one in his last 25 outings in, for the Chicago Cubs, um, two no-hitters in that, in, that, uh, in that run. And we see that Jake is on Twitter. That's his main uh, social platform. He has 200,000 followers and is getting uh, about 1,100 likes for every one of his posts. And he has about 70% males who follow him. So Jake Arrieta, a pitcher for Chicago Cubs, about 30% following of women. And his big bulk of his following is very heavy uh, Caucasian and in the age groups of 33 to 39. So a, sort of a traditional look at Jake Arrieta and 85% of his following in the U.S. So different than Drake and Beyonce, Arrieta not really a global superstar, but a, 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 a pitcher that is changing the record books right now for Chicago and someone to keep an eye on as we go through the, the baseball season. So that is your hyper heat report for episode 30. And we've looked at Drake, Beyonce, and Jake Arrieta. And that about wraps up our show for today. It's been a, a little bit of a roller coaster show. We tried to get uh, connected with Ramona early, and uh, through some unfortunate uh, circumstances, we were able to connect with her about 15 minutes late. So we apologize for the roller coaster show that we started today, as well as the cancellation uh, of yesterday's show. But I do want to thank Hyper for all of their data and all of their information. I want to thank the Crowdsline, our new sponsor, for coming on today and being a part of our show today. And and and, and every day, and you can follow them on the crowdsline.com. Go on and make your prediction for game two tonight of the Miami and Toronto series. And, of course, thanks to ESPN, Ramona Shelburne, and the entire PR team over there for having Ramona on today. It was really a great spot, really interesting, and I hope all Knicks fans, Laker fans, and basketball fans appreciated that. Uh, let's try to get a little bit of sun out in New York this weekend, maybe hit the golf course. It's, a, uh, it's been a terrible weather week. The weather looks uh, pretty crappy throughout the weekend. Hopefully we'll find a little bit of window, play a little golf, get out there and get a little Little League, and, of course, uh, 
watch tons of sports as we wrap up uh, round two or uh, of the playoffs, both in hockey uh, and in the NBA, and we get closer to uh, the Stanley Cup Finals and, of course, the NBA Finals. Appreciate everybody listening today. Of course, you could download the podcast at Inside the Burger Shop. The grill is always hot on iTunes, as my man Mad Dog Russo likes to say. Adios. Podcast, the one that you heard about, talking sports media, buzz and the word of mouth, social is the currency, seeing what the buzz will be, talking sports and culture, you never know what'll be coming next, cause that's the type of podcast you listen to, powered by the hyper, brands, who the man, yo, Ryan at the forefront, got it on my iTunes, walking through the storefront, listen to the broadcast, he touches almost anything, sports, culture, media, technology, and marketing, so listen to the man right ahead of his time, on your podcast, you can download or listen live, so here comes the podcast, here comes your host, the Burger Shop, now live from coast to coast, in any way you want to do it, listen to the show, Ron got the insights, the Burger Shop, you know, Burger